Recovery Elevator, episode 434. So yeah, I just started doing positive things, man. And I started loving myself and it started to become a lot easier to, to stay sober. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Gary. He's 44 years old from Toledo, Ohio, and took his last drink on January 30th, 2023. Great job, Gary. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. And before we get any further in this episode, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to cover one of my favorite recovery tools or practices. Now, this concept is a bit more advanced, so if you don't track with it, no worries. We've got a great interview with Gary in just a couple minutes. But before we cover this tool or concept, I want to ask you a question. And if you don't know the answer now, that's fine, but I encourage you to seek this one out. The question is, who is your guy? Who is your gal? Who is your North Star when you need guidance the most? Who do you look to when life starts to veer in the ditch? Who maybe perhaps has already provided the guidance or teaching on what to do when life gets challenging? For example, who is, what would blank do? For example, what would Jesus do? What would Mother Teresa do? What would Oprah Winfrey do? What would MLK do? What would Bill W do? What would Beyonce do? Maybe it's what would Chris Oyen do? For me, my guy is Eckhart Tolle. His books, The Power of Now and A New Earth, were recommended to me at just the right time. Go figure. I've listened to A New Earth at least a dozen times. I've read it twice in English and once in Spanish. In years four to eight of sobriety, A New Earth was my anchor. It was the star on the tail end of the Little Dipper for me. By the way, that is the North Star. Many times, I found myself driving the backcountry dirt roads of Montana listening to A New Earth. And every time I listened, I heard something new or something that I had missed before. This was because I was growing. And each time I returned to the book, I was a different person with a new perspective, with more sobriety. My consciousness had changed. So here is the tool, concept, or teaching that I want to cover with you today. There's a line in A New Earth that says, don't lose yourself in it. Meaning, don't lose yourself in the world of the thinking mind. Don't lose yourself in the world of form. Don't lose yourself in thought or the ego. Don't lose yourself in your identity. Don't lose yourself in the role you think you need to be playing while living this human life. Okay, so I'm sure many of you are saying, cool, Paul, but what the fuck does that mean? 
Okay, let's loop in the book, The Untethered Soul from Michael Singer, where he says, you are not the thoughts in your mind, but you are the one who experiences them. So the teaching is, at any given moment, you should be able to break the constant stream of thoughts pulsing through your mind and body. Let's remix that. On command, you should be able to exit the thinking mind and place your mental energies on the birds that you see outside the window. Or maybe focus on the sound that an appliance is making in your home or office. This only has to be a couple seconds. Don't lose yourself in the incessant stream of thoughts the thinking mind is dishing to you like assists on a basketball court from John Stockton. Why must we not lose ourselves in it? For starters, we will live an entire life without realizing the beauty right in front of our faces. Number two, the ego or you is fake. If you listen to Russell Brand long enough, you're going to hear him say something like, you don't exist. And what does that mean? I'm pretty sure if I punch myself in the thigh, I'm going to feel it. Hang on. Yep. There we go. Felt it. So yes, we do exist on the level of form in the physical world, but you, the ego, who you think you really are, is just a lifetime of you piecing together thoughts and experiences. It's simply too big of a gamble to fully lose yourself in the thinking mind because that story of who you are is incomplete. It's wrong. So here is the practice. No matter how shitty your day is going, make it a point to stop what you are doing and put your energies into one deep conscious breath or walk outside for 25 seconds and follow a single bird for as long as you can before losing sight of it. Now this does not simply apply to shit days. No matter how awesome your day is going, make it a point to go throughout your day and create as many gaps in your thoughts as possible. Take a look up at the sky and wait till you can see the clouds moving. This practice again does not have to take long and it might not be possible for you. There may not be enough consciousness at first to split from the thoughts in the head. Now what creates this initial split? Well, there's many ways, but an addiction does a great job of that. When you get to the point where you say, I can't go on living like this anymore, or you're straight up sick and tired of being sick and tired, you are ready to step away from the thinking mind. You're ready to be free. In fact, many of you are already free. The concept of not losing yourself in life brings you back or connects you with the deeper self, the part of you that doesn't need two bottles of wine a night before going to bed. The part of you that knows in order for there to be sound, there has to be silence. For darkness, there has to be light. And for you to exist in the physical world, you also have one foot in the spirit world. I currently have this five word teaching taped on the shelf behind me so I can see it daily. However, listeners, I still lose myself in my human life often. At times, I have emotions pulsing in my body that make it nearly impossible for me to depart from the near addictive nature of my thoughts. But this is a practice, and like anything, we can improve. And let's not lose ourselves in this teaching also. The point, to summarize, is to create as many daily gaps in your thinking as possible. I mean, because look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you wanted, one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Okay, you all saw that one coming a mile away. That last part was Eminem's lyrics of a song called Lose Yourself. And side note, I was in a band in college where we covered the first 45 seconds of that song. I love that song and I love music so much. 
but I also try to not completely lose myself in it. Thank you listeners for your time. I hope you enjoyed this intro. I had a good time putting it together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Gary. Trying to find balance in day-to-day life is tough. I'm a working mom, and it seems like the older my kids get, the busier our lives become. We all have different needs, and it's truly a challenge to take care of everyone else while also making sure my cup remains full. For me, setting that block of time in the week to check in with my therapist is a great way to protect my energy and my mental health. It's hard to balance everything that I'm juggling when I don't feel like I'm taking any time to balance myself and my emotions. Therapy has allowed me to use coping skills to navigate recovery as well as my busy mom life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Gary. Gary, how's it going this morning, dude? Oh, great, great. Um, this, this podcast has been a big part of my journey. So many days when I... It was such a struggle just to get through the day without drinking. I would listen to this and I would hold on to it for dear life. And that a lot of times would get me through through those early days. So now to, I'm honored to be be here on the big show under the bright lights. <laughs> Welcome, man. I'm glad you're here. I, I share that sentiment, the, the stories and what we do here, what people like you, like the bravery to open up. Um, it, hel- it helps a lot of people. So I'm really honored to be able to sit with you. And thank you for agreeing to come on the show. I think we're going to do some cool stuff today. Gary, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? My last drink was January 31st of this year. So I am 69. Somewhere I hear Beavis and Butthead <laughs> laughing maniacally. 69 days sober, but I've been on this journey for 10 years. Um, and I've had continuous amounts of sobriety, you know, whether it be two days to two and a half years and everywhere in between. Well, big congrats on that 69. (laughs) And I agree. I'm also a 14 year old boy at heart. So I'll I'll join them in their maniacal laughter, but to have a a couple stints in between, you know, before this, I'm I'm sure we'll get into that, but nice job today, dude. How are you feeling? Great. That's good. I'm back on track. You know, I had went through a time and it needed to happen. Um, I guess I needed that to actually fully surrender. I feel like finally I fully surrendered. And unfortunately, I, that's what I had to go through. But that's, yeah. what, that's what it is. Well, you're here today and I'm and I'm happy for that. Gary, before we get into the story, uh, let's kind of set the stage. Can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living? Uh, your age, family, things like that. And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, well, I'm 44 years old. I am from Holy Toledo, Ohio. I am a medical assistant. We do doctor visits in patient homes for patients that are homebound or bedbound uh, primarily. So I, you know, I 
take all the vitals and poke people with needles and draw the blood and give shots and do EKGs and test people's pee. So, you know, all, all the glamorous stuff. <laughs> what I like to do for fun is I've always liked to read. When I was drinking, I it really got in the way. You know, it's like I, I would read and kind of forget what I read. So I would basically read the same chapter of the same book for months on end. So that didn't work. But even more so, I'm learning now uh, what I like to do for fun because I didn't have any hobbies when I was drinking. Uh, I remember in my drinking, you know, at work, they had this get to know you sheet, you know, where you fill out all this stuff. Like, and it was like, what do you, what do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies? And I just, I had nothing, man. I I drank. Um, So now I'm like last year, I just started fishing, you know, I'm, just really discovering kind of what I like to do for fun. I love it. That's one of my favorite things is like kind of the curiosity that can, that can show up in our lives and the willingness and the desire to try new things because we're not so overwhelmed with this shit. Right. Uh What do you like to read? I like a lot of, I like autobiographies and I like, like mysteries and psychological thrillers. Okay, Those are my two things that I really I really like, but I really like autobiographies. I really like people's stories. Well, it's an amazing segue to, uh, to what, to what we're about to do. (laughs) Let's get into it, Gary. Let's hear a little bit of, of your autobiography. Let's talk about this journey that you've had with alcohol. Maybe start at the beginning and then we'll walk together forward, brother. All right. My uh, first experience with alcohol, I was, uh, I was either 12 or 13. My cousin had just got his license. He was 16, and uh, he had a friend that had a cousin that was getting married. So we decided we were going to crash this wedding reception. So he gave me a real cool outfit of his to wear. Um, So we went to this wedding reception, and they had this open bar. And I, you know, I thought, why not? I went up to this bar, and they actually served me a beer, like, I don't, (laughs) looking back, I'm like, why in the world would you uh, serve a 13-year-old beer? But they did. And I tasted beer for the first time, and I gagged every every time I took a sip. It was just the most horrible thing. And I literally had to choke this beer down, but I just kept choking it down. And then I just went up and I got another one. And I remember I kept drinking this beer, choking this beer down, gagging on it until it started to taste good then i kind of blacked out and next thing i was in the uh in the restroom and my cousin and his friend came in and rushed me out and said we got to go we got to go and they rushed me into the car and we took off and they said apparently i had been dancing uh with one of the bridesmaids and i don't know got too close or something but supposedly this uh bridesmaid boy boyfriend was uh searching me hunt me down so so they whisked me out of there and on the way home you know i threw up all over my uh my cousin's real cool outfit and all over his friend's car so i it was a hot mess from the start yeah you man you hit her with a <laughs> with a bang yeah so that was uh that was my first experience and really i didn't drink really at all in high school I graduated high school and 
when I was 19, I, I met my, uh, who would be my future wife and, uh, she was going into the army and I didn't really have any direction at the time. I was just kind of working at UPS and, uh, smoking weed. And so I just kind of followed her path. So we got married and I joined the army and I got stationed out in Germany. So I arrived in Germany and I was 19 and I was legal to drink in, in Germany at 19. So uh, that's what I started doing. And it, it just, I fell in love. I was always a real insecure person, really, really shy. Uh, it was instilled from me growing up that it was really important what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always searching for uh, people's validation. I, I just had no self-esteem. So I drank. Um, my wife came out to Germany. Um, a few months later, she cheated on me. And and that just kind of really destroyed me. Growing up, I had always been told to suck it up and drive on. That's how you deal with things. I had a high school basketball coach that it was always suck it up and drive on. And then I was in the army and that's what it was. Suck it up and drive on. Mm-hmm. And then this happened. And, uh, you know, I was on a small base and so word gets around. So uh, it, it was another soldier and I guess his leadership uh, got involved and kind of put the kibosh to, to that. And she, my wife became very hateful towards me. We had a, a soldier in our battalion who had recently the same situation. His wife cheated on him and he uh, hung himself off of the balcony. And I remember my wife saying to me, you know, why can't I be that lucky? Why couldn't I, you know, why, why can't I be, you know, why couldn't you have done that? So she was just really hurtful. So I was destroyed. Looking back, I had put all my identity in this relationship. And now all of a sudden, uh, she was in the States and here I was, I was in a different country. I was away from family. I was away from friends and I was basically stuck there for another three years because you you don't go into the army and you don't decide, Hey, maybe this just isn't right for me. Yeah. Uncle Um, Sam, I could use a change. You want to hook a brother up? Yeah. yeah. I, I know, I know all too well. It doesn't really work that way. So I started drinking i i was totally destroyed inside i had been told suck it up and drive on and i couldn't suck this up and drive on so i drank i remember sitting there one day and it it just took away my pain and i just remembered thinking i just have to do this every day and then this time will be up and i will be back home so I just started drinking every day and it just made me be who I wanted to be, who who I couldn't be sober. It was all fun at first. I started with beer and eventually that didn't get me drunk fast enough. So I went on this big search where I just tried all different kinds of liquor, trying to find what one worked for me. And I found that and just, just went with it. You know, that, that was my time. You know, Gary, I just want to take a minute and and just acknowledge what you just shared. That's, dude, that sucks, man. Like, uh, that's like the understatement of the century that 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 sucks. And I'm sorry that happened to you. I think a lot of listeners are going to 
resonate with with parts of this though the that mentality you know you and i are close in age and i think there's a there's a lot of our peers i think of our generation where that was our coping mechanism that was that was handed to us as we were kids to suck it up and press on and you know there there's something there right like we like we do need to to press on like that's i mean that's life like we've got to get through this stuff but that the message of you just need to like suck it up it was, I think, a missed opportunity in the people who are trying to help us develop and grow is it's it's important to spend some time and process it as well, rather than just stuff it. And and I can relate to that military culture as well of like, I mean, that's what they tell us. We, we, and again, like I get it because we got, you know, we've got a mission, but there there also needs to be some space for us to process the shit that's happened to us. And that's man, that's really that's really tough, dude. In that in that time and, and and through all of that, did you did you have any any people who were who were close to you who were trying to like help you through it in in any sort of a of a healthy way or was it was it all just kind of this like all right let's, like let's go out and 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 do our thing? Yeah, I, I had drinking buddies. Yeah, all the people in my platoon, uh, we were drinking buddies. So. There was no processing <laughs> of anything. Uh, the only processing was let's go out and drink. That was the culture there, you know, when I was in the army. It, it was just what we did. So I just spent that time just drinking. And and it was fun then. It was fun then. I didn't have consequences really then. I, I didn't have horrible hangovers. You know, I was in my early 20s, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, you know, there weren't all the bad consequences yet. So it worked at that time. It worked. And and it just got my mind off of that hurt for, yeah. you know, for that little amount of time. But yeah, I just I just kind of pressed on, kept on drinking. Then I got out of the army. I finished my tour and I came home. We had obviously my wife and I had gotten divorced. Uh, I got got here back to the states uh, i met someone and i remember and i had a daughter and my daughter was born uh in 2003 and i really wanted to be a great dad that was my number one priority i had a great dad uh who was a great example a great role model and he was kind of he was my hero and i just really wanted to be like him so it was really important for me to be a great dad so i i figured that's time to i knew i had to cut down on drinking so that's when i tried to start moderating you know and i did all kinds of things i would drink only beer or i would only drink on certain days of the week i would set a certain number of drinks and i was successful sometimes to some degree but even when i was moderating and i could moderate when I wasn't drinking, all I was doing was focusing on that next day when I could drink. And I wasn't ever present in in those days in between. I wasn't able to enjoy life because even when I was successfully moderating, my mind was on whenever I could drink next. So it really didn't work for me. And And really moderating for me, I could only do it for a short amount of time. And then I would be off and running. That's that's something a, a lot of our guests say too is that we have this recognition that it's that it's a problem, right? And we want to we want to put some rules in place. We're always talking about the 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 rules, and even if on paper we're 
were quote unquote successful in not drinking as much or, or as often that's still that the, the mental bandwidth that it takes up is that, that is still keeping us from, from living our life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really tried to moderate, man, I've always wanted to be a great dad and I've always been real close to my daughter, even, you know, throughout her whole life. So I really worked at, at trying to cut down my drinking and I was somewhat successful and, and I definitely cut down on my drinking. Uh, then around 2005, my dad was having some pains in his leg. I, I remember we went out to the store, we were at the grocery store and he's, we're coming out with these big, they had those big cubes of Pepsi and, and he was behind me and he was just really struggling to, uh, you know, kind of limping. And I said, you know, you got to get that checked out. And he said, yeah, I hope it's not arthritis. So he went to the doctor and and uh, he got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a, a real, a rare, uh, a rare aggressive form of bone cancer. And then he did everything. He did chemo. They took out his hip and his femur. He did everything. And within eight months, he was he died. He was gone. And that was a turning point for me. Yeah, he was my my role model. I was very close to him and he was gone and it just happened so quickly. And I watched him go from this real, he was always a real healthy guy, had maintained a healthy weight, did all the right things, didn't drink, didn't smoke. And then I just watched him waste away over those eight months and then he was gone. And so then my drinking really kind of started ramping up. I was uh, drinking probably... A, a fifth of rum, at least a fifth of rum a day. I was working at a hospital and we would do three uh, 12-hour shifts. So I had four days off. So it's like if I wasn't working, I was drinking. Uh, I was just trying, again, that's all I knew is suck it up and drive on. And I was, it just didn't work. You know, I found, you know, just didn't work. It wasn't processing anything. So I just drank it away. So, yeah, if I wasn't working, I was drinking. On my days off, I would drink uh, from when I woke up and all the way till I went, you know, went to bed. And But I still was really trying to be a great dad, so I would really try to balance it through the day, like not get too buzzed, but not get too sober to where I would feel. Um, mm -hmm. So that was just an exhausting, exhausting path just going through those days of drinking all all day but trying to be able to be there for for my family to always be babysitting that throttle to yeah to, to yeah. try to maintain right yeah so i did that for a long time and then i started i was i was at that time i was a phlebotomist at at the hospital and so i was drawing blood because of my drinking, I was having physical withdrawals. Uh, we would start at about five in the morning and I'd go and get on the floors and start drawing blood. And my hands were just shaking. I was physically withdrawing because I was drinking so much. That does not inspire great confidence in, in your caregiver when they're coming at you with a needle <laughs> no. and, and they got shaky hands. So I got sent over to employee health. To, I got pulled off the floor um, one day uh, to get sent over to employee health to be evaluated, uh, you know, because 
I was having these shaky hands. I, I didn't know at the time what was going on. I was always a very anxious person, always a nervous person. And and I, I was always somewhat shaky, I guess. But this was on a whole different level, right? Because yeah. I was physically withdrawing. So, um, yeah, they took me over to Employee Health, evaluated me. They had me do a breathalyzer and do a drug test. That all came back fine. But then they put me, because my hands were so shaky, they uh, said that until I could get cleared by a doctor and that, that whatever that was, was, was gone, I couldn't work. So, so I didn't uh, work for, for two months. In that time, I tried to get the drinking under control. I w- was successful and I was white knuckling it. And, you know, eventually I got back to work. But then I just, it just uh, went went back to where I was with the drinking. And eventually I wasn't making it into work. And eventually I got fired, which was really hard. <laughs> it was a big one for me. And every job I have, have had, I've always been acknowledged just for a hard work, work ethic and, and doing a good job. And then here I was, I, I had been lost my job and that was a that was a real tough one for me yeah that's a big hit man it sounds like you know there's been a a few moments already in your story that have just they've kind of been big hits that have that have obviously created like a an increase in that in that using be using behavior and the the thing i keep hearing is that you know like you were you were trying and you know you wanted like you wanted to do, like you just said that, you know, you, you want to be a hard worker, you know, you take pride in the things that you do and, and how much being a good father meant to you. And but yeah, some of these losses have, again, without, without knowing necessarily a, a healthy way or, or having that, that heavy crutch of alcohol, it's yeah, it just, it jacks things up. How was your, how was your family life after, you know, after that, like the, your relationship with your with your daughter were, did you feel like you were hitting those marks as being the type of dad that you were want, wanting to be or, or was that uh, area that was, that was tough as well? Well, I mean, somewhat, I really tried to be a good dad, even when I was drinking. Um, it's really something I really worked at, but at the same time, because of my drinking, I wasn't always able to be a good dad. And, and she was young you know, during those times of my active addiction, she was just growing up uh, and she was younger, but, uh, you know, old enough to see and and old enough to know that, you know, when I wasn't really, I was always present physically, but I wasn't always present for her um, mm-hmm. and, and what she needed. And there was just so much chaos that she had to grow up in. And that only fed into my addiction because I've always been so hard on myself and, you know, low self-esteem. So anytime I would disappoint her or disappoint someone, that would just reinforce to me, you know, that I I wasn't worth, that I wasn't, you know, worth it. Um, So I I went into, after I lost my job, I went into um, inpatient treatment. After my job, I, I was just drinking all day and all night. And it's like the day would fly by, you know, I would wake up before my daughter was awake 
and I'd be drinking. And then it's like the whole day would, and I'd be alone. And then the whole day would kind of fly by. And it was at times almost kind of blacked out. Then I would be, it would be the nighttime and she was asleep and I'd see her laying there in bed. And I had basically been blacked out the whole day. And here I was alone again. And I just remember I got to the point one night where I just couldn't take that again. I couldn't take another night of that same hamster wheel of just drinking all day and just not being fully present. I I knew she was hurting, um, but I didn't know how to stop the chaos. So I, I went into inpatient treatment. And after that, I, that's kind of where my journey began um, back in 2013. I, I went into inpatient treatment. Uh, I was able to stay sober for three months after I, that was, that was huge for me. Before that, you know, it was, I could string days, uh, maybe a couple weeks here and there. But after I had gone through treatment and I, for the first time, it had some sustained sobriety. I got a taste of what life could be like without alcohol. And and I just, then I knew that that's, I was going to get sober or I was going to die trying. That time when I saw all that kind of opened up when I was sober and just how, how uh, it was like the Wizard of Oz, man. It was like, uh, you know, when I was drinking, you're in the black and white, you know, and and the black and white, and and then I got sober, and then I'm in the land of Oz, and everything's in vibrant color, man, and <laughs> you know, ultra high def. I just got a taste of it, and and that that's what I wanted. So I started, but I was very shy. I was very, I just couldn't put myself out there. I started getting some tools. Um, I started going to AA meetings and I went to probably every AA meeting in the city of Toledo. I really shopped around to find because I was, it was really hard for me to, to, I was not comfortable around people. So it was really hard for me to find a place where I felt like I was at home. So I would go to all kinds of different meetings and I would find these meetings where I just, I felt at home i was around people for the first time i wasn't alone i was around people that that had the same same problems same condition so i i started going to meetings and i i remember i started listening that's when i i started listening to podcasts i found recovery elevator and i remember i would listen to this and this is when I, I just couldn't get through. It was really hard for me to get through. I was white knuckling every day. I was just trying to get through one day. It was so hard for me to get through one day without drinking. And I would listen to this podcast when I was drinking. And and I could feel myself getting strength. I, I know that sounds kind of weird. I was It was shifting my intentions. It was shifting my direction towards you know, this life of, and this possibility of being sober. Uh, I talked about, I went into a meeting and I had talked about that, you know, that, you know, I had listened to this podcast and, you know, when I was drinking and, you know, a guy mocked me and said, that's like putting on a condom after you've had sex. (laughs) But, But for me, I didn't have any strength at that point. 
that was setting my intention. You know, I had to go. It it was just little inches towards a step like that where the, where the beginning for me. You know, you mentioned being shy, Gary, and that's like I think of that like I I can kind of get the same way. And that's got to be like good and bad to be shopping a lot of AA meetings, like as a shy person. Cause I like, I love AA and I love the people of AA, but there's also like when they see a fresh face they're you know, they get excited and, and it's, and it's all like, it's all love. Right. But they want to, they're like, Hey, how you doing? What are you doing here? How long, how long you been yeah. sober? What do you need? <laughs> I can, I can imagine that like, but that's like, I just want to acknowledge like that's a really cool thing to be able to because I can't like sometimes it's overwhelming like I don't want to scare anybody off from checking out a meeting because but sometimes like it can be a little overwhelming but again like I think it's in general I think that it's all love it's just because like when you've had a taste of that freedom and you see a fresh face come in like you want like you want to share that I mean that's a whole like one of the principles of it right but huge kudos to you for you know in 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 all of that time like trying new meetings and and finding new places and even if you know (laughs) i love the analogy that the that the guy made about the condom but still you know even if we're drinking you know i mean yeah i think it's it's great it's great to not be drinking but you know what we're we're trying to take something in and 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 that willingness to continue to look for you know what's that next nugget what's that next thing that's going to help me to, to get another foothold, to get another day, another week, you know, maybe another month, you know, what, what is it? Yeah. I just like huge kudos to you for, for like staying hungry and continuing to look for those next things. Yeah. So, you know, over those next few years, you know, I, I was really, really hungry to have that sober life, but I wasn't really all the way ready to surrender. So I just had some success, you know, I I had years of, you know, I would be able to, you know, it's like I would for a while going, I remember I would go nine days and 10 days getting through that 10th day for a while was really tough for me for some reason. It's like I would get through feeling like garbage, get through the hangovers, get through all the regret. I'd start feeling good. And and then, you know, around about day 10 for that was a, a real hang up for me for a while. But over those years, I I would have streaks of I had one streak of nine months. Um, you know, I was getting more, more time, staying time, but I, I was still still not able to live that life. And this, you know, I don't know if it's some say it's a disease whatever it is, the condition, whatever, it is progressive. And so for me, it progressed. Basically, there was a turning point at at some point where it wasn't about me craving a drink or wanting to drink. I didn't want to drink. But somewhere along the line, I was having these successes in staying sober for good amounts of time. And and then it became, I would drink to sabotage. It switched. I don't know how to explain it. When I drank, I would drink to sabotage my progress. Uh, there's a part of me 
and I still, and I found this out just recently in January, there's still a part of me that wants to take me down. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's with the addiction or what, but I just felt like I had no choice and I would drink to sabotage. I, I just did not feel worthy, felt a lot of guilt for, for just the chaos my, my daughter had been put through in my active addiction. Um, I'm still trying to learn how to forgive myself. So that's what tripped me up. And, and it, it started getting real bad uh, about, it really came to a head in 2020. You know, my drinking came to the end game where it is now. For me, it's come to the point, it is really a matter of life or death. Um, you know, when I would drink, uh, it was only, only misery. And there, the fun was long, it was long gone. And I, when I would drink, when I would go on these binges, I, my drinking became very ritualistic. Um, I would drink a certain way. It was all like designed to just take me down. So back in May of 2020, I went on a binge and I ended up in the ICU and in the hospital for three days, just because I had, I had drank for five days. I had not eaten and my body was in real bad shape. Um, so I was in the hospital for three days and then uh, I got out and six days after that, I found myself out back drinking again. And my fiance, uh, she came home and she was pissed and rightly so. Uh, she said she, you know, would later say that she had always knew that I would get through this and I would find my way through this. And then when she saw me drinking six days after I had just been in the hospital for drinking and in the ICU um, hospitalized for three days, that that was the first time that she thought, you know, maybe I would not be able to do, maybe I wouldn't be able to, to stay sober. We had a real good conversation after that. It was a real tearful conversation for both of us because um, just talk about, you know, we, you know, we, we may not be able to make it. Our relationship may not make it. And, and I said, yeah. And it was first time I was really thinking that, you know, maybe, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I, maybe I'm not going to be able to live a, a sober life. I, I was really circling the drain at that point. Um, that was in May. Uh, the next month, I was on another binge and drinking and not eating and ended up in bad shape and ended up in inpatient detox, uh, inpatient treatment again. Um, did that, got out. And then the next month, July, I, was, I found myself there again on a binge. My body was just, I was dying. And I was in the ER. And uh, I remember the nurse in this. So this is when, you know, the pandemic had really started to to, to uh, get serious. Uh, so I went went to the ER because I was in bad shape. And I just remember uh, the nurse and the doctor were just so overly just really, they didn't mask it. They were just so rude and just. Me and I don't know. Maybe it's because you know there was all kinds of people having COVID, and there's this <laughs> drunk guy. You know, I, I come to the ER because I I just couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop, 
And I, I don't know, but they were so just mean and rude to me. And looking back, I'm so glad they were because I, I sat there. Um, the doctor came in and he said, so what are you hoping to accomplish here? Because I said, I, I came in here because I can't stop drinking. And if I didn't, I'm going, I'm going to die. I, I can't stop drinking. And he said, well, we'll see if you, we don't have a treatment here, but we'll see if we can get you into treatment. Maybe they have a bed. So I sat there in the ER for a couple hours and I, I'm glad they were like that because I just really got serious finally with myself. And I said, you know, Gary, two months ago, you were in the hospital. A month ago, you were in inpatient treatment. Here you are in the ER. So what's the plan? You're, you're going to go into inpatient treatment again? And then then what? I got real honest with myself. And I it was like, do you want to live or die? You know, what what's next? You got to get honest with yourself. You got to make some real change. Um, so that's that's where I started. And so July 2020 is when I got sober and I was uh, went through two and a half years of sustained sobriety after that time. I remember I listened to, uh, you know, I, I would listen to the podcast and I joined Cafe RE and I would read the posts, but I, I didn't post and I didn't didn't reach out and I listened to I remember listening to episode 270 with with Tom Top and uh just listening to him it really challenged me to stop doing it on my own and to put myself out there you know that was big for him uh just the community and and getting involved in the community and I you know I figured that I, for me, I had to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because my comfort zone had always been drinking alone, you know, alone out back with a bottle. That was my default comfort zone. So I had to go, if I was going to get anywhere, I had to be uncomfortable. Uh, so I started putting myself out there and I just started reaching out to others. I, I hated myself. I, I needed others to love me before I could love myself. And so uh, just reaching out to people and letting that happen because I couldn't stand myself. I, I was so fed up, so fed up. And I had spent my whole life not feeling good in my own skin, not feeling like I was good enough. So I really needed to get involved with the community. I really needed people to love me. And in time, that helped me learn how to start forgiving myself and start loving myself. And then I started doing positive things like setting a good morning routine for myself. I started caring about my health. You know, I started walking my dog for a couple miles every every day, which we still do every day. I set I set this morning routine to help me kind of get stay sober and I started to do put in things that I knew if I drank it would be hell for me. I would really not want to do it. So like I would, I made sure in the morning before I left for work, I would wash the dishes every morning. I would go take my dog out and walk two miles every morning because I knew I'm very good about, I'm a creature of habit. So I'm good about following a routine. It takes me a long while to start a routine. <laughs> That's the real hard part for me. 
I'll think about it for a few months, but once I do it, I, I am consistent. Uh, so I, you know, put that, I put in things that if I were to drink, had a hangover, it would be a real pain. So yeah, I just started doing positive things, man. And I started loving myself and it started to become a lot easier to, to stay sober. It's amazing, dude. I just want to give a huge shout out to Tom. He's a, he's a, a wonderful ambassador for, for this, this idea of community and, and engaging and reaching out and letting other people in and just to touch on, on the last couple minutes of your share, you know, that a lot of us go through that self-sabotage. We, we struggle with that idea of forgiving ourselves and being able to move on. And, and we feel like we don't deserve these things. And that's, you know, that's what our addiction can do. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of ways that we can phrase this. And I just want to encourage people like grab onto like whatever idea sticks with you, whatever resonates with you. It's not that one is right or wrong, but yeah, we can convince ourselves that, that this is just the life that we deserve. And, and because of what I've done and, and put other people through that this is it, this is all I deserve. And I'm just destined to have this, this tragic ending. And that's, it's just bullshit. It's, it's bullshit. Um, we do deserve love and we deserve peace and, and it's, it's out there for us. It, it might not feel like it at times, but it, it absolutely is. And, uh, what a huge step for you to, to be able to, to, to hear his message. And I'm, and I'm grateful for him for, for putting that out there and that, that it clicked with you and that you, you started to lean in and you started to love yourself and to do things, to care for yourself. Cause you, you deserve that. And that you saw those changes. Gary, we've got just a couple minutes and we've got to get into the rapid fire round, but I was wondering if just, yeah, just for a couple minutes, if you could tell us just like a, a quick summary of like what happened the beginning of this year and, and what's put you on this, this, this current stretch. Yeah. What's, what's going on now? What's going on today for you? So back in, in January, I, um, so basically when I got sober, I needed to throw the whole kitchen sink at it. I needed every tool. I read uh, recovery books. I listened to the podcast. I, on Cafe RE, I have, you know, I, I reach out to people. I have friends in recovery. I'm in a little, little group and they are just my core. Um, shout out to Christy and Amber and Tana and Amy and Jackie and Rob and Chris. I love those guys. Um, yeah, I, I, they've just been again, like I said, just putting myself out there and letting people love me helped me to love myself, helped me to change from hating myself uh, to loving myself. But I, uh, another tool that I have been on is, um, you know, back when I was going through that spiral, I was seeing a therapist, and I and she knew how. My drinking, I had very elaborately told her what my drinking looked like, how it was, the obsession. Uh, she suggested to me, she said that you need to start taking antabuse or, or you're going to die. The way you drink, you're going to die. So I started taking, I needed a medication as one of my tools to stop drinking. So in January, it's two and a half years that I was sober. Um uh, I started, you know, the insurance changes every year. Uh, and suddenly I had this, you know, copay for my medication. And I thought just, uh, you know, I two and a half years I've taken that. It's served its purpose. 
and and I, I didn't really feel like uh, you know paying that amount, so I, I stopped taking that. And and I've learned that that's something that I need. I always had a tr- trouble knowing that I had to take this medication as part of my recovery. I again, I always listen to what other people what other people think is what's important. Um, I heard one time, you know, someone said that if you're taking any kind of medication, then you're not doing recovery right. So I always felt this way about, and I would look at my friends, you know, they're not taking, they don't, they're not on any medication for, for their recovery, you know, something may be wrong with me. I was never able to just surrender that. That's one necessary tool for me because it's just, it's, it's obviously a tool. There's no magic pill, but for me, it offers, it offered a good amount of insurance against my sabotaging myself when I would get to those points. Um, I stopped taking that. And, you know, I, I thought at that time, I thought, you know, if, if was, if something was to make me drink, I thought there, there's nothing at that time that I thought would make me drink. I, I thought maybe, maybe if like my daughter died or my fiance died, maybe, but probably not. There's no way. I don't think I'd still drink under those conditions. But at the end of January, I found, I found out how powerless over alcohol I am. And it didn't take much. It took a weak spot. It, it took, uh, there's still that part of me that wants to sabotage myself. And I drank and I drank for five days and, and I was in horrible physical shape again. And I had to check myself into inpatient treatment again to save my life. So I did that and I got out. And, and the great thing is, is in those two and a half years before that of, of sustained sobriety, I had put in all these great routines and I had, all these great people that I talked to and connected with, it made it real easy for me to, I got out of inpatient treatment and just, it made me, it made it real easy just to settle right back into where I was. I've got a, you know, a, it, it just made it a lot easier to come back from that. So, you know, I'm not starting over because that time isn't lost, but, you know, it's hard. I, I'm still kind of processing out that you know but i'm doing great i i'm back on track and it, it, it's a lot easier because i had made these changes and made these connections that i could just go right back in so i'm a, I, I'm a work in progress <laughs> we all are brother and i just i just want to say you know it's you know obviously we don't want these you know none of us is is desiring for <laughs> a relapse or a setback or field research or whatever the hell term a person wants to use. But I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, five days you're, that you're back on it. And I just want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, Paul says it a, a lot that there is no, there's, there's no cookie cutter for, for what recovery has to look like. And if, if we, if we're using some sort of medically assisted treatment to help us, to help us be successful, I mean, that beats the hell out of, of being out there drinking every day. Right. Yeah. And I'm proud of you for for recognizing that you need a little help. That's and that's that's okay. It's if that's what's helping you to achieve that goal, uh, that's okay. It doesn't doesn't have to look like everybody else's because if if we hyper focus on one aspect of everybody else's recovery, then maybe we think that they're all the same. But if we take each of those and look at them individual, you know, what person A versus what person Z is doing, like they're 
they're all they're all doing different stuff that's that's individual from each other as well and this just might happen to be a part of ours you know i did medically assisted treatment for a big chunk of like my first year and you know i heard that same shit and it's and it, and, and the way i looked at it was you know what like this is what's helping me right now this is this is helping me and maybe it's something i'm going to do for the rest of my life maybe it's something i'm just going to do for a season but whatever it is it's helping me to reach my goal and and i'm and i'm okay with that we're we're all our own person and and we all got to find that path that works for us and and there should be there should be no shame in that gary we are at the rapid fire round that came up on us quick so in 30 to 60 seconds i'm gonna ask you to answer these questions are you ready Yes, let's do it. All right. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? If I could do it. It was just such a huge mountain for me to climb. I didn't know if it was possible. Yeah. What is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? Just how much everything opens up after I stop drinking. You know, it's so huge. It's all about stopping that drinking. But once I stopped drinking, I realized how much of a small part of that it is, that it just opens up life. It opens up everything. All the possibilities are there when when I stop drinking. And I'm still still learning about what I can do. Yeah, I love what you said earlier. It's like stepping into Oz. We go into full color. It's really cool, man. Uh, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Ice sparkling water. I love it. It not only helped me when I was trying to stop drinking, but it helped me uh, get off drinking pop. I don't even, I don't know. They they call pop different play, different uh, names. And what do they call it out there in North Dakota? Yeah, it's we're up north. So it's a, like, I don't know, I call it soda, but I think regionally <laughs> it's, it's pop. Pop. Yeah. Well, it got me off drinking pop, man. I drink that stuff every day. It's awesome. It's, Yep. I got a fridge about two feet from me that's got about 40 cans of sparkling water of all varieties. <laughs> I feel you, brother. What's your favorite resource in recovery, Gary? It can be a book, an app, a meeting, a program, a community. It, it can be anything. The community, uh, when I joined Cafe RE, just from, you know, just the community in Cafe RE is just the greatest people I have ever met. And a lot, most of them I haven't met in person, but I feel so connected. I feel like they're family, just the greatest people I, I found in, in this community. So Cafe RE for sure. Amen to that. I got a lot of chosen family in that group as well. In regards to sobriety, Gary, what's the best advice you've ever received? Danelle in the Go group one time said that comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and that was huge for me because I never, never comfortable in my skin. I was always comparing myself to others. Um, and when I heard that comparison is the thief of joy, that's been a game changer for me for, for realizing that. And I use that every day. That's a solid nugget. Shout out to Danelle. I love, I love, I love, I love all the, the, I don't think you're like intentionally name dropping, but just like, as you've mentioned some names from the community, like I just, uh, it just warms my heart. Cause I know 
a lot of these people and they're just they're amazing and that just anyway that's my little unsolicited plug for finding a community and we just so happen to be members of the same one but uh yeah there's just a lot of amazing people out there and it's cool to surround yourself with those people and to get to hear just to, to hear those things and be able to pick up on them and all right anyway i'll stop uh last but certainly not least gary what is your favorite you might need to ditch the booze if line you might need to ditch the booze if you're drinking on Halloween in the shower and you fall and in this fall you you break your uh, shoulder and tear your rotator cuff, but you put off going to the ER till the next day because you're just not done drinking for tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There might be uh, some misalignment in the priorities there. <laughs> Good night alive. Gary. I just want to thank you for your time today, man. Thank you for agreeing to come on and you're going to help a lot of people. And and uh, I'm just grateful that you're here and huge congrats on 69 days today, brother. Proud of you. Thank you so much. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Recovery Elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Gary, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. We're getting into the full swing of summer, and I wanted to share a few things that I've got planned to make sure I'm protecting my sobriety while simultaneously enjoying all that summer has to offer. Number one, I've got my beverage options locked down. My office fridge is loaded with sparkling water and a few NA beer options. As I look in it right now, it's full of LaCroix and Waterloo. I've got a couple bottles of Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher and a mix of Wellbeing, Bravas, and Athletic Brewing NA beers. At a moment's notice, I can head to the lake, a barbecue, or just the backyard and have plenty of options. Number two, being proactive about making plans. We've got a camping trip planned with some friends who I know support me and they know where I'm at my recovery. We try to make plans with friends for dinner every once in a while because it's important for me to stay connected to my support and my wife and I have date nights planned every other week. We actually use a meal delivery service that we can cook together as one of the ways to spend time with each other. I also block out time just for me, staying tuned in to my needs and enjoying a little bit of self-care. And number three, never forget the fundamentals. Even with a little time under my belt, I know that I need to stay grounded. What works for me is continuing to work my program. I'm a 12-step guy, so I generally meet with my sponsor online once a week. It's been a chance for me to talk about what's going on in life and get the perspective of someone that I trust. He helps me if I'm struggling with anything and is also a great cheerleader. How about you, RE? What things are you doing to both enjoy summer and protect your sobriety? Head on over to our website and find this episode or find our posts on Instagram or Facebook and let us know what you're up to. You're the only ones that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.